Hi there, Casey Smith here. This is Shoulder Charge, a rugby league podcast. On the show this week, we have the big interview with the Batley Bulldogs coach, Craig Lingard. And plus, there's all the action from Super League and the Championship. But without further ado, let's start with Batley. The Championship this year is wide open. Without the likes of Toronto and Lee, the fight for top five has been made slightly easier for those who just missed out last time round. So far this season, we've seen shock results with Halifax beating London, Sheffield demolishing Bradford and then overcoming York just last night. With that in mind, I started off by asking Craig Lingard what he made of his side's start to the season. Yeah, I've been I've been fairly pleased. We've had a, we had a tough start to the season in terms of the fixtures. Featherstone uh, uh, twice in the league and the cup, and Halifax in the cup as well. So we've I think we've got a better week on week throughout the the pre-season. Um, we played two friendlies against Dewsbury and, and Featherstone again, and uh, you know we, we had a bit of a wake-up call against Featherstone. We didn't think we were anywhere near good enough there, but then had a real good week in the, the build-up to the Halifax Cup game and managed to get a decent result over them and, and said so the performances since then have, have, have improved week on week and that's been without a lot of people as well. We've had nine or ten people unavailable either through injuries or, or work-related things and I think with the, the strength in the squad that we've got now we've shown there's uh, plenty of competition for places to, to come in and challenge for, for a shirt if anybody misses out. So, uh, yeah, so far it's been it's been pleasing but we know it's a long, long road to the end of the season. We've got to maintain consistency throughout the year. Yeah, and you've added like players with Super League experience to uh, recruitment this year. You've got some youth as well. What are them players uh, going to add to the squad this year? Um, we've, I think that with our, our recruitment uh, at the end of the season, we we sort of highlighted what we what we, th- we felt we were missing, where we were strong, what we wanted to keep, and we felt we were always uh, fairly strong and tough down the middle. So we wanted to keep as many of the middle units as we, as we could, and we, and, we, and we did that. A few, a few people left, but we. Uh, we managed to uh, retain the, the the bulk of our middle, but we had, we had some strike on the edge and some excitement. And uh, the, the main thing we had an experienced halfback, which we got in uh, in Tom Gilmore, who's played top end championship, who's played Super League. So yeah, he, he was a, a vital a vital signing for us, well, Tom. But then you see, we brought people in like uh, Kieran Buchanan, Jack Logan, uh, Jody Brown, who've all got Super League experience and top level experience. So it's uh, it's I think it's just having a little bit more of a a uh, slightly different dynamic to, to what you expect from about the team now. With uh, I think you always expect about the team to be tough and difficult to play against and rugged, but we've now got some quality out wide. So, you know, we're, we're not we're not afraid to uh, to throw the ball out and try and score some points. How do you rate your size chances this year? Because I'm looking at it, you know, this year we've not got Toronto because they've gone. You know, they went up into Super League. We've got Lee have gone as well. So. There's 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 all sorts of uncertainty around Toulouse, you know, with the with them being in France. It seems mm-hmm. like it's all open and up for grabs this year. It is, yeah, and and I think I think teams are still still sort of feeling out where they are in in in, in regards to their performance levels. When you look at uh, the results that we've already had this year, uh, you know, first uh, first cup game York beat. Sheffield quite convincing, and Sheffield pumped Bradford, yeah. and then Toulouse come and beat and, and beat uh, York in the cup, as, uh, 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 beat York in the league as well. So um, it's it's really difficult to know where people are. Again, just just with our results, we got we got hammered in a friendly against Featherstone the week later, went and beat Halifax, and then Halifax beat London in, in the league. You know, so I think yeah. I think teams are still finding out about themselves. But as you, as you say, with the um, the strengths of the teams that have, have left the competition, it's wide open up there at, at, at the top. So 
you know, we're we're under no illusions that we've got to be on our game every single game that we play. So if we, if we have a week a week off, we're we're not good enough to have a week off and and, and get through and, and scrape through a victory. We know we've got to be on it every single game that we play, but. With the performances that we've had so far, and the uh, sort of the, the attitude that the players have shown, particularly in, in training to to getting better, um, it's wide open. You know, there's, there's, anything could happen this year. I think uh, the league will be that close that maybe two or three victories might be the difference between finishing tenth or finishing fifth. You know, I think yeah. it's going to it's going to be that close, and teams are going to be picking points up off each other. A lot of focus in the games, it seems to be, you know, the errors. If you make more errors, you're probably not going to win. It seems mm. like an easy sort of thing, you know, complete your sets, don't knock on, don't concede penalties, but in games, teams, the best teams rarely do not make any errors. Mm. Uh, so how, as a squad, how hard is it like to stay disciplined in games and in terms of coaching, how do you sort of coach to make less errors, basically? Um, it's, it's a difficult one, it depends, it depends how the game's flowing. Uh, as you say, it's, it's really difficult to... Um, to, to be dominant in a game when you're making errors, so it's, it's particularly important that you've got to you've got to retain the ball, look after the ball, because the, the game's easy when you've got you've got the ball in hand because you're not defending. You know the more defensive sets that you have to do, the more repeat sets that you have to do, uh, which with the, with a zero tackle restart. Now that's a new element to the game which we've got to uh, we've, got, we've got to cope with. There seems to be less penalties at the minute um, because of the, the the zero tackle, but you're still getting the penalties as well. So it's it's really important when you've got the ball, you completely set and, and you try and gain as much as much territory as uh, as possible. But I think the key to the key to um, winning winning the rook defensive is that first up contact because the referees are real keen now. If you lose that first up contact and the, and the defender defender wins the floor, if you go back on and have a second effort, it's it's it's, it's, it's reached out and the tackle count. So it's it's really important that the first up contact in defence, but. Um, the more, more defence you do as well, the more fatigued you're going to be. So that means that your, your decision making, your skill set's going to be a lot worse as well. So it's 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 about us putting our players under them, uh, them situations in training. So we've done we've done a lot of eight tackle eight, eight tackle defensive sets, ten tackle defensive sets, just to try and replicate that that zero tackle effect that you're going to get in a game. And it's, you're not always going to have to defend six tackles. It might be it might be seven, eight, nine, ten, and then there might be a, a, a repeat set because they've got a drop out. So you might have to do three or four defensive efforts on the bounce so we we try and replicate that as much as we, as we can in training um which has worked so far i think in the in the competitive games that we've played and our completion rate's been been quite good so far so we know that again if we're going to compete this year our completion rate's got to be good but also as, as first up contact's got to be good as well uh, in terms of like the the rules they seem to be changing quite regularly you know we've got you the six again, no scrums, and mm-hmm. also there's a the, the recent change with the ball steal rule. What do you make of like the regular changes and trying to keep up to date with the rules? Yeah, it's it's, it's difficult at times because it, it, it takes players uh, takes players a little while to get used to. Um, I think you've seen the uh, the ball steal rule now playing a slightly more more prominent role in in, in games over the recent weeks. I think teams are maybe trying uh, trying to utilise that and. I, that for me, it's a, it's a backward step. Is that because I think you, it's a more negative, uh, more, more neg- negative rule? Is that because you I think you you put more onus on the player to lock the ball up rather than try and present the ball to get a to get an offload or, or some second phase rugby? So I think that's a bit of a backward step for me. Is, is that rule? But it's what we've got, so we've got, it's what we've got to try and cope with as best as uh, best we can. And and if we can, we'll try and uh, exploit that rule to our advantage as well. While it's while it's still there. Um, the six again rule, um, it's, it's in. I think it's I think it's going to be here to stay. Uh, I think again that's got that's got positives and negatives of it. I think sometimes if you give away a six again in 
our team gives away a six again, 10 metres, 15 metres off the opponent's try line just to try and buy a few extra, extra seconds in the tackle. You're not really losing much, but if it's a penalty, you're losing maybe 30, 40, 50 metres down the field, which is which is more of a, a deterrent for me. So there's no tweaks that need need to be applied to these rules. And I can understand why they're doing it. They want to try and make the, make the game more attractive, more free-flowing, keep the ball in, in, in play as long as they possibly can. But with that, we've also got to look after the players as well because the, you know, we're, we're fatiguing the players more and more and putting them in more... More stressful situations, and you know, I think the injuries the injuries have gone up dramatically as well over over the, the, uh, the certainly this season, but also last season as well. After we came back after the break, and you know we've we've missed nine players already this season due to due to injuries that have, that have missed games. You know, so we've had to cope with that. Other other teams are going through exactly the same as what we are. So I think yeah, it's good that we're, we're trying to make the game more appealing to the uh, to the spectators. But we've also got to make sure that we look after our. Uh, our attributes and our assets, which are the players, and, and not put them in too many stressful situations that's going to impact on them injury-wise. Yeah, and in terms of COVID, uh, what impact has it had on the club? Uh, it's had a big impact. It's something that nobody's ever, ever gone through before. But again, everybody's gone through it, so it's not it's not something that's that's unique to to us. Everybody's having to deal with it and, and deal with it in their own way. And um, I think I can only speak for the, the, the players from uh, from my club, but I would imagine that every Every player, every club has been exactly the same. But they've, they've, they've adhered to everything that, the, that they've needed to adhere to in, in, in relation to coming back, to, coming back training. You know, there's a lot of, lot of rules and protocols that are in place. And as, as silly as you might think that they are, we've got to, we've got to abide by them to get back to training and get back to playing. And the, and the players have done it without, a, without a question. So, yeah, we've had to adapt, but sort of every, as, as every other club as well. Uh, and it's, it, it's something that we're hoping is going to, going to filter out over the next. Uh, Two or three months as we as we get back to some sort of normality and get back to uh, being fully unlocked and and also we can just get back to turning up to training and yeah. not to worry about testing or our social distancing within within this training environment. So within the training, obviously you've, you've got some COVID protocols there. Uh, how how does that work then in terms of training and does it affect the way you coach and the way you train basically? Yeah, it does. Um, you know, we've not had we've not had all the all the players together in, in in a group as you normally would do. So, for example, in the in in the gym, normally you'd have every every single player. Or we would you'd have every single player in the gym, and you'd be working around through the different routines, through the different exercises, and you do that just to keep everybody together. You know, you build that atmosphere, you build that camaraderie and the banter, and that that builds the team spirit. But at the minute, we're we're only allowed so many people in the gym at one particular time, so we have to stage people arriving at training to get the tests done. Um, and then our, our, our gym's set up now with a new gym that we've got. They'll come in uh, through the one-way system at the bottom of the gym and they'll work through um, up to the top in, in, in sequence and go out at the, at the end and they'll have to wait for everybody to finish to, to then do the field session. So it's a long it's a long evening for some guys who were there early. Some of our early guys there are past four and they're not, uh, they're not leaving until maybe half past eight, quarter nine. So it's, uh, it's a long it's a long evening for some players in, in, in a part-time rugby environment when they've got families at home and they've worked full-time during the day as well. So it's a, it's a massive commitment that, that, that the players are, are going through for not a lot of money in part-time rugby. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it, I, think, I, I, don't, I don't think people realise the, the sacrifices that part-time rugby players make for, uh, for, for not a lot of money at our level. Uh, and in terms of your coaching philosophy, what is it that you're trying to instil into your players and what does a... What does a Batley team look like? Um, well, part of part of my recruitment was, um, you know, we've got to have we've got to have good players. I've called it players, but the, the main main aspect for me is you've got to have good people, you know. So the, the we do is due diligence, due diligence on the players as, as much as everybody else does, and 
we make as many calls and uh, and inquiries as we can about about the individual, about what they like as a person, about what the what the background is, where they've come from, you know, uh, the clubs that they've been in the past, what they've been like when they've been there. You know, so we we try and get good people in there. I think if you've got good people in your environment, then they're, they're more willing to work and more willing to to make that effort for you. So that's that's the first thing that, that we do. Um, the next one is we've got we've got to be tough. We've got to be willing to work for each other because if you're not if you're not willing to work through adversity then you're just going to get rolled every single week but we also like to promote people to to play with their heads up play what they see you know we're not a, a five drives and a kick team we like, we like players to express themselves as much as they possibly can but within that they've got to be smart about when, when and where they're doing it uh, and, and about where they are in, 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 in relation to the, uh, the game situation as well you know, yeah, we want one players to express themselves, but if you're winning by two points in the last minute of the game, we don't want to offload until we add off their own line. So it's it's getting that balance and uh, but allowing the players that, that little bit of freedom. You know, we'll, we'll give the players a bit of a blueprint of a uh, of the of game plan, and within that blueprint, the players have got access to do what they want with it as long as the the, the decisions are good and, and that's what they're based on. Uh, they'll, they'll be judged on their execution of the decisions and the de- and the decisions that they make. Uh, when things are not going right and you're picking up. You're not winning games, and it becomes a habit. You know, there's three or four games, and you've gone without a win. As yeah. a coach, what do you do to basically overturn that? Yeah, I think you've got to judge each each situation on its merit. You've got to know what your players what your players need. Do the players just need a, uh, a relaxed week? Sometimes you can rather rather than just keep hammering the players because you might be making the same mistakes or you might be losing. Rather than just flogging them every single week and every single session, you might just need to pull back on them and just have a bit more of a relaxed week and just try and line it up a little bit and just take the pressure off the players to allow them to go into a game without that pressure on the shoulders and uh, and try and, and, and try and play more relaxed. But likewise, it might be might be the other way around. You might need to hammer, you might need to give them some uh, give them some defensive work, so you might need to run them. Uh, so it's all it's all about judging where they are um, at that moment in time. There's no there's no one size fits all. Uh, every every player will react differently as well. So it's about judging what your group needs and what the individuals in your group needs. Uh, and it's difficult because you, I mean, we've got 27 players training in our squad at the minute and not every single one of them 27 players reacts exactly the same in, in, in each situation. So every player needs a different stimulus. Some players might need an arm around the shoulder. Some players might just need telling straight. Uh, so it's, it's about knowing your players and if you can if you can get that right, if you can know your players as much as you possibly can and, and judge the, the, the atmosphere and the, the environment at that particular time, it gives you a... A good idea about what might might be the right thing to do doesn't always work uh, because we're dealing with we're dealing with human beings and, and not robots, you know. So it's uh, it's just about judging what what you think is right at that particular time and, and trying to get it right. What is the hardest part of your job? I think it's just the part time aspect. You know, it, it's it's getting people there from work and you know and, and around family life as well. So. You know, you might have a you might have a session planned because you know you've got 27 players turning up for training. But then when you get to training, um, M60 might be crashing at M62, so there might be four or five people that are stuck in that and can't get there. There might be somebody who's got got stuck, delayed at work, so they're having to work over. So it's just that constant um, constant rejigging of of knowing who's available and and, and who's not available. And, some, and sometimes you don't know until the last minute, and that's the that's the beauty of the part-time environment. Even with players that are injured, um, you know, they can't get there and 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 get get seen by the physio up, up until a, a certain time. So again, you you might be starting your field session at, at quarter seven or seven o'clock, but uh, the physios only just be able to see two or three people and pull them out of training. So it's that's that's the most tricky part is just the part time environment of it and, and not having them there in the, in, in, in a full time aspect and just having to so just work on your feet and just adapt as much as you possibly can. Craig Lingard there.
Right, moving on to last week's action. And we'll start Thursday night because it were Wigan who overcame a spirited Leeds to win 19 points to 6. Now, I'm going to start with Leeds because it was a similar performance to the one last week. They had bags of effort, they did the basic things right and they gave Wigan a run for the money really. The scoreline suggests it were more comfortable but, you know, it was a tight game again. Similar to the Saints game, there's been a lack of skill. And we all know about the injuries and how players are filling in at different positions. You know, they've got all their best players out and they've not got recognised kickers, although Kyle Eastman did return but didn't seem to show up in the first half. He, he then came out in the second half and, you know, was doing all right. But he seemed to be eased into the... Um, match and it didn't seem that he was at his full potential in the first half. When Wigan were on the ball uh, I don't think Leeds pressured the kickers on the last tackle enough because quite a few times they was allowed to run and run and then get the kick away. The, the, the metres for the last kicker were not reduced well enough on a couple of occasions and I think that allowed in the great Zach Hardick a try where he looped it over the Rhinos defence. And he had another great game, by the way. Second half did get better for Leeds, you know, with Kyle Eastman. I think he took care of the kicking duties, which I don't think he actually kicked one in the first half. And Leeds were putting the pressure on, but the turning point was failing to find touch after they were given a penalty and then they conceded straight after. And I don't think the momentum changed after that. And then, the killer, with the so-called incorrect play the ball, I think the player had cramp, and he, his leg was out extended. But if, if you watch that again, that looked like a better play the ball than most ones that have been done this season. That has never been penalised. But, of course... Ever the inconsistent referees, which we'll discuss even more later, some more drama, you know. Whenever does the player the ball get penalised? Not that often, and it was incredibly harsh. The player had cramp, he was injured, but no, it totally killed off Leeds anyway. And we're well aware of Leeds' issues, I've touched on it already, you know, the players are out of position. But a question has to be asked. You know, why is there no younger players coming through? What Where's the young halfbacks that are ready to step up? You know, if they're not ready, it might be good experience for them anyway, you know. There's no way, no better way to learn than actually playing. And was Kyle Eastman fully at it? Because, you know, he were totally anonymous in that first staff. But for Wigan, it's it's three wins from three, and I don't think they've been at the best so far, actually. And we've seen, still not seen Bevan French. And it's more tough games for Wigan, actually. They've got Castleford next, and then they've got Hull FC. For Leeds, their next few are slightly easier. They've got Hull KR, Huddersfield, and then they've got Wakefield. But on Friday, there was all sorts of drama and controversy in the Hull KR game. 
and that's for the third time already for OKR this season. Their matches this year have been box office. But be- before we before we get into that, Castleford battered Lee fifty six points to sixteen. It was a similar performance from Lee too. They was outclassed, outmanoeuvred, and it was frustrating because they ran Castleford close in the second half, and they have done. I think they did that last week as well. You know, they gave it a good go in the second half. I think if you count in the the last 40, they only lost by two points. So we all know they can compete. We saw the first half with Wigan. I keep going back to that. But the first half performances are just killing them. You know, they've not just shot themselves in the foot. They've shot themselves at every other bloody body part that they've got. But... By half time, they've already lost the game, so it's it's no use doing, you know, having a go in the second half because, you know, you're never going to win the points. You know, I don't know what they do going forward now. Do, do they get in some more solid defenders? Because the line was broken far too easily on the weekend. And this is where John Duffy earns his money because he's going to find a way of getting that second half performance and and propelling it to the whole game. But even then, his side will still be losing. So that's that's how big the step up is. And that's how big the margins are right now. You know, we might be looking to the second half. And yeah, it was against Castleford, who are one of the best teams in this division at this current moment. But, you know... If they want to stay up, they've got to get wins against these teams. I think last year, uh, not last year, the last time they was in Super League, they picked up points from the big sides. But they didn't do as well in the close games that they should have won. You know, there were so many gaps in that defence. And it didn't didn't take much skill to actually break it. And yeah, it, it's it's hard to come up from the championship. The gap is so big, you know. You've got the full-time league and then you've got the part-time league. So it's obviously going to be a big, massive leap. But for me, right now, it is it is looking like Lee are the favourites to go straight back down. Their big game is next week. It's Salford they've got. So that's going to be a big indicator as to what's going to be happening this year. If they win, you know... It's anybody's game. If they lose, then there's going to be a gap starting to emerge. Moving on to St Helens. They've beaten Wakefield 34 points to 6. Now that suggests a comfortable win. But it wasn't because it was nil-nil at half-time. And to me, St Helens under Christian Wolf do not seem enterprising. They don't seem to be... They don't seem to have that X factor. They're tough to beat, but going forward, is there any magic that you would associate with the best team in England? I've said it a few times on this podcast. You know, we're three to four games in now, if you're counting the Challenge Cup. They haven't hit the best so far. And, yeah, they have been without a few players, but Lachlan Coote were back this game. We will have to wait and see to see how they fare when everyone's fully fit. But have... St Helens gone backwards under Christian Wolf because they conceded the league leaders' shield to Wigan last year. Okay, there was all sorts of points percentage and whatnot, but there's points percentage now. 
So, you know, nothing has changed. And they only won that game against Wigan in that grand final because of that missed catch, which Jack Wales refinced on. Looking at the St Helens squad, you know, they've got so much quality. But I don't think they've got that magic anymore. I don't I don't see it. I think the focus has too much been on defence and not much going forward. Um, for for them, the fixture list next up is kind of kind because they've got Huddersfield, then they've got Lee, Salford after that, then it's Catalan Dragons, that might be a tougher test, then it's LFC. So you'd assume they're going to get up, up to the full, you know, 100% by then. And who knows, they might be back in full swing after the next couple of matches. But I think the problem with not actually playing the top sides in the early rounds means you're not going to learn as much as you would if you were playing your nearest rivals. And I don't mean geographically, you know, in essence, a game against a fully fit Wigan, a Warrington, a Castleford, that's going to be more revealing about Saints' fortunes this year than who they're playing already. Basically, they've not been put to the test properly yet. But forget about St. Helens because we still ain't spoken about that drama that unfolded late on Friday night between Hull KR and Huddersfield. Of course it had to involve the Rovers. It seems every game of theirs thus far has been blockbuster. And we might as well start with the first try because the writing was on the wall from the first second. You know, the the, the long kick was missed. It, it was allowed to bounce, I think, once or twice. It... It overlapped um, the Giants' defender, and it seven te- seconds it took for Ben Crooks to swoop in and get the try, which is a Super League and NRL record. But before we speak about Hull KR, here is what I think the problem with Huddersfield is. All the talk has been when he sees a back, you know, how long. When is he coming back? Is he going to be here next week, the week after? It's all been about when he's here and sees a back fit. Now, you could blame the media for this. However, to me, Ian Watson has made a big point of getting him back in his interviews with the media too. You know, he's been asked the questions, but he's given similar answers. So let's not pretend it's going to be a manufactured thing from the media. I believe Ian Watson has created a feeling within the Huddersfield camp, be it consciously or subconsciously, that Huddersfield cannot function as well without their main man, Aidan Caesar. Now, this may well be the case, and we're seeing that they can't so far. However, as a coach, you've got to do your utmost to say to your players, OK, we might have a star player out, but our squad... Is more than capable of dealing with that. To me, the focus going into this game seems to have been, you know, a scramble to get him back fit, get him back playing. To me, that sends out the message, the coach is panicking. The players, they must have picked up on that, you know. It sends a message out, they're not good enough, that when they go out on the field, unless they've got Aidan Caesar, they are underprepared. Was the messaging wrong? Was Caesar rushed into the side too quickly? 
the first half performance suggests he was. But then he were he were back to his best in the second half. So I don't know what happened uh, between him, you know, within the half-time break. Did he eat three weeks of bits or what? I've not got a clue. But he was anonymous in the first forty. You'd you'd be mistaken. To, you know, you wouldn't even know he were there in that first half. And a big, a big thing for Huddersfield at halftime was Lee Gaskell coming on, who we'll talk about in a sec, in a second or two. But for, let me just say this: what was he doing on the bench in the first place? I think he's been instrumental for Huddersfield this season. So to see him not playing was bizarre, and it seemed that all the action went through him when he was on. So why was he put on the bench? But forget Huddersfield's issues because credit goes to Hull KR because Tony Smith, I believe, he's got them competing with the so-called best sides in this league. A couple of years back, you know, the gap between them and the rest was too big. But... They've found a way of competing and they've added a couple of good signings this year too. You know, Ryan Hall comes back. You know, it, I think it's gone to Golden Point like three times, hasn't it? It didn't do this time. They managed to get the extra point just before the final hooter, which was just deserved because those refereeing decisions, which I'm going to refer to in a minute... You know, they were farcical. But for Ian Watson, it's been disastrous, hasn't it? You know, just the solitary win against Lee and they even made hard work of that. You know, they've signed big tackling players. They've signed strong guys. For example, Josh Jones, Luke Yates. So why and how did Hull KR rip through them so easily? People were saying, why has he gone to Huddersfield? You know, back when it was the nights they were joining. He might now be asking himself the same thing. That's Ian Watson, by the way. But, as I keep referring to, we've not yet discussed the very dubious refereeing decisions that so nearly lost it for Hull KR. Let's, let's get into the first one. Well, Lee Gaskell, who I praised, but for this, he was diabolical. As Mick Morgan would say. <laughs> right. Lee Gaskell threw himself to the ground after basically a very innocuous connection with Sean Kenny Dell. The ball was in the air, the ball throws to it. Sean Kenny Dell got to it first. Gaskell was out for second best. After Sean Kenny Dell won the won the contest, the ball propelled forward. Lee Gaskell seemed to fall to the ground theatrically. Of course, obviously, uh, Sean Kenny Dell needed to get past him so you know he was brushed aside for him then to ground the try but it seems that like the the theatrics were not well executed at all because it was like a couple of seconds after after the contact that he actually went to the ground so it was clear as a bell that you know it was play acting but Chris Kendall the video referee, he had judged it to be a legal play, which that that surely sets a dangerous precedent for rugby league now because we've seen it with football players going down so easy. 
does rugby league want to go down that route because you know we're going to have we're going to have fails every two seconds and i thought rugby league was all about speeding the game up letting it flow i, I don't think rugby league wants want to go down that route at all to make it all worse for Hull KR, the, the, uh, Huddersfield scored straight after it. And that were it for the controversy. Then, after a death kick just behind the Rovers' try line, Chris McQueen was in. But before grounding the ball, he fumbled it. He dropped the ball. The ball fell to the ground and then went backwards. Surely, surely an knock on. But no... The referee gave the try, and I think that put Huddersfield in front, or at, le- at least it brought them back level. However, OKR won the points. It's questionable how they did do though, because you know the, there was strange decisions on their part too. You know the winning point came before what looked like an illegal ball steal, but that weren't reviewed because it was in general play. Now, that was probably the wrong decision too, but to me, justice was done. But it's certainly not been a good week for the referees, and I was speaking about the referees in the last couple of episodes, and I don't usually do this, so, you know, that that says it all as well. I don't like to make a part of the referees, but, you know, that game were nearly ruined because of some bizarre decisions. But, Back to Hull Kingston Rovers. They do not do it easy, do they? Compared to last year, do they lose this game? Probably think they do. So, they've done better. Next, they've got Leeds, Warrington, Castleford. They've not had it easy so far, have they? That's going to tell us a lot more about this side. But, from what we've already seen so far, they can give them sides a run for the money. Now then, before we go on to the championship, let's just round up the the remaining games. Catalans beat Salford 42-6. Salford struggled again. Catalans were, were, were out. They outclassed them. It were 20-0 at half-time, so there were no second-half comeback. Catalans are looking really good, I think, this year. Uh, Hull FC drew with Warrington. Another one that went to Golden Point. Every single game seems to be going to Golden Point. But um, there the, the were no winner found because they, they missed every single um, drop goal attempt. And I think that is the first ever Golden Point that's ended in a draw. As I understand it, in Super League anyway. I do enjoy the Golden Point, you know. It adds the drama, doesn't it? But, you know, when... A side gets a drop goal in who probably didn't deserve to win, you know, made so many mistakes but got the final hit. There does seem to be a bit of an injustice. Maybe they should adapt it where you both get a point anyway, but you get an extra point if if you get the drop goal. Perhaps that's a way of, you know, um, sorting golden point out. But I think I think it's a good thing. It's just sides end up winning when they didn't deserve it, really. In the championship, we've seen some more interesting results. We're going to start with uh, York v Sheffield. I listened to that game, 
and I think York made error after error after error after error. They, but Sheffield were top top stuff again. Anthony Thackeray, two tries. You know, he was on the mark again. Uh, Rob Warrency were playing well, although uh, Paddy Burns went off with a, a serious injury, I think, so let's hope he's OK. But, yeah, with York... You're looking at the the side: Ben Jones, Bishop, Kieran Dixon, Adam Cuthbertson. How much quality has that side got? And they're not showing it for me so far. It was eighteen six in this in the first half, and it finished twenty fourteen. So there was a bit of a comeback from York, and they they were they were going at Sheffield, but they had all the answers. And we're supposed to be saying York are going to be. You know, one of the teams that are definitely going to be challenging for Super League. But, as it stands, Sheffield a joint top. Dewsbury, they've got two wins from two. Who just said that? Widness are not having a good time of it at all, are they? Dewsbury beating 22 points to 14. I don't know what the answer for Widness is either. They've not been good enough. Featherstone dispatched to Swinton. They seem to be... I'd like to see Featherstone against, you know, one of the one of the so-called better sides. Whitehaven beat Newcastle 29-20. Oldham was easily beaten by Batley, 48 points to 10. Toulouse got the win over London because London refused to travel to France. Which I think is a bit out of order, to be honest, because Toulouse have to travel all over the place. But they took the decision, they, they lost the points. Two games gone in the Championship. York, a joint bottom. London, a bottom. Swinton, a bottom. Witness just above. Bradford, though, got back to winning ways. They beat Halifax by a point. That was a good game. It was 27 points to 26. In in the last few minutes, the scoreline were changing hands every every couple of minutes. Halifax were in front at one point, then it was Bradford, and then Bradford finally got the the extra point. Big game for London next week is Oldham. They've got to win that, surely. Witness as well, they've got a big game coming up. They've got Batley. Halifax face Toulouse. And Bradford are facing Dewsbury. And the others are Featherstone, Whitehaven, Swinton, York, Newcastle, Sheffield. Tasks to look out for next week in the Super League. It's got to be Salford v Lee. That's going to give us a big indication of how the teams are going to fare down at the bottom. Catalans v Warrington is another one with the sides at the top. Who's going to win that one? My money's on Catalan Dragons. They're my pick of the ties anyway. But that's it for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. Next week I'll be talking all things Welsh Rugby League. How do we grow the game in Wales? And to discuss that with me, I've got Andy Mulesdale, the CEO of North Wales Crusaders. So I hope you can join me for that. See you next week.